The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. All right, Coastal, if you will, go ahead and make your way back to your seat and uh, have a seat. Kind of rowdy this morning in here. That's awesome. Uh, I'm pumped up. Today's going to be a great day. I'm excited about next Sunday, as Ryan said. Somebody asked me, so what's the purpose of the tailgating thing? I said, man, it's just fun. It's just fellowship. We're going to have a blast. Gives me a chance to wear a Clemson shirt next Sunday to church, so I'm excited about that. Um, but uh, yeah, please, we need some tailgaters. We really do, as Ryan said. So if you can uh, sign up for that, just uh, it doesn't matter, college, pro, homeschool, volleyball team. It really doesn't matter. You just represent your team, your group, and uh, we're going to have a blast next Sunday together. A lot of fun stuff stuff going to be uh, outside. Um, hey, there's a couple other things I wanted to bring to your attention. Uh, the end of this month, we have so many new people come to our church uh, week in and week out, and a lot of times they're wondering, you know, what's the next step for me? How can I kind of plug in, get connected, get to know a little bit more about the church? Uh, really, the first next step, and it's a great next step, is our newcomer's reception. Uh, it's immediately after the second service. Our next one is Sunday, October the 28th. Uh, we feed you. You get to meet our staff. Um, get to hear a little bit about the different ministries, the history of our church, and just how you can connect and get involved. And so that is uh, Sunday, October the 28th, and you can sign up for that on the back of your Connect card as well. And then I noticed the next day uh, is our next membership class, which is a great next step for those of you who've been coming for a while, wondering, you know, hey, I'm ready to go all in. I want this church to be my church. And uh, so that's on uh, Monday night, uh, October the 29th as well. You can sign up for both of those things on your Connect card. Now, uh, talking about next step. Talking about getting involved. I want to draw your attention to something that's in your bulletin today. It's a little blue insert. Everybody do me a favor. Take this out, if you will. Take a look at it. Uh, it says Coastal Kids on it. Coastal Kids is our children's ministry. It is that entire building uh, right next door to us. On Sunday morning, uh, we regularly see over 100 kids. Um, my wife told me, she's our children's director, Janet. Uh, she told me that last month, I think they saw like 169 different kids for, the, for last month. And uh, that, that number is just growing and growing. And uh, we need volunteers. And, and I don't want to just say we need volunteers. Let me say this. You need to volunteer in children's ministry. If you're looking for a place to serve, if, by the way, if you have children in children's ministry and you're regularly, uh, your kids are involved over there, you know how awesome it is, and you're not serving, you ought to consider serving and volunteering. And there's so many things to do over there besides just, some people have gotten their head that, oh my goodness, I'm going to sign up for children's ministry and I'm going to get stuck there. And uh, I'm, ne I'm never going to come to church again. I'm going to be in the black hole of nursery or something. I don't know. I mean, you've got some negative connotation. We usually tell people that one person, uh, one service, once a month makes a huge, huge impact. And uh, there's uh, so many things to do over there besides just teaching. Uh, we have people that assist with uh, technology. We have greeters. We have people that just usher people from child check-in back to their classroom. We have people, you might not know this, who literally between services come and wipe down all the toys between services for the next service. And uh, so there's a lot of things to do. So this is the uh, Coastal Kids Volunteer Insert. And uh, if you would put your name, your phone number, and your email, and just go through this during my message. Don't pay attention. Just read this. No. Um, Sometime today, if you will take a look at this and uh, figure out where you'd like to volunteer, and we will follow up with you. And then literally, you can just fold this little piece of paper up and drop it in uh, the blue offering bucket at the end of the service, and uh, my wife or somebody will be contacting you. And uh, we really do have just 
a phenomenal children's ministry here. And, uh, you know, you change a child's life, you change the world. And um, it's an opportunity to, uh, you know, to plant seeds of the gospel and the good news. And, man, I want kids to just, you know, just love coming to church because they come to Coastal Kids. And that's really what's going on over there. And if you'd like to be a part of that, uh, that's a next step for you. So let's get started. Uh, Today, I want us to talk about temptation. Temptation. Um, I heard a story about a young couple who was struggling with their finances. Okay, maybe some of you can relate to this. Uh, both of them were impulsive spenders, which that's a bad, you know, that's a bad formula right there. But um, uh, they're really having a hard time, so they came up with this plan. Uh, they agreed that whenever they were tempted to make an impulsive purchase, they would say, get behind me, Satan. Okay, get behind me, Satan. So things were going great uh, just for a little bit, about a week or so. And uh, then one night, the wife comes home with this bag from Nordstrom's. And uh, inside was a brand new black Gucci cocktail dress. And her husband was like, honey, I thought, you know, we had this agreement, you know, like this understanding. Like, what happened? Didn't you remember to say, get behind me, Satan? And his wife said, no, no, I, I, honey, I did. I remembered. I, I did. I told him to get behind me. And then he told me that the dress looked really great from behind there, too. So, uh, anyway. Um, temptation. Um, last week, uh, we talked about how to handle the trials of life. And uh, today, we're going to talk about temptation. We're in this series called Losing My Religion, about discovering a real relationship with God and uh, putting our faith into action. So today, this is as real as it gets, because if there was ever an area where people who say they believe in Jesus really need to put their faith into action, it's this area right here. It's temptation. So follow along as I read. Again, we're going through the book of James. This is chapter 1, verses 13 through 18. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. So, what is James telling us here? First of all, if you're taking notes this morning, first of all, we need to be aware. Number one, be aware. So be aware of what? Be aware that you will be tempted. Verse 13 begins, when tempted, not if tempted. If you were here last week, that that sounds a lot like what we talked about last week, doesn't it? When you face trials of many kinds, and now when you are tempted. So what James is saying is that temptation in a believer's life is just as inevitable as the trials of life. You can bank on it. Now, this, however, is where some people who who claim to be believers, can come across as phony and self-righteous. You know, acting like, you know, they don't, they don't have the same struggles that other people have. They don't have the same temptations that other people have. Well, you know, 
the closer I get to Jesus, the closer I get to the Lord. You know, I just, I just don't struggle like other people. I don't, I don't struggle with temptation. I'm not, I'm not tempted anymore. You know what that is? That's what you get when you cross a crocodile and an abalone. A crocabalone, okay? That, seriously, that's, um, listen, every single person experiences temptation. You are tempted. I am tempted. Everybody's tempted. The person sitting next to you is tempted. You can't outgrow it. You can't outrun it. Just as surely as you are breathing, you will face temptation. And this is important. It's not a sin to be tempted. Now, how do we know that? Well, in Luke chapter 4, we read that following Jesus' baptism, that he was led into the wilderness for 40 days and tempted by the devil. It's not a sin to be tempted. Hebrews 2.18 2, says this, since he himself, okay, he's talking about Jesus, has gone through suffering and what? Temptation. He's able to help us when we're being tempted. And then if, uh, Hebrews 4.15, also talking about Jesus, this high priest of ours, he understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same temptations we do, yet he did not sin. Now, what those passages tell me is that every believer is going to struggle with temptation all throughout our life. We will never reach a level of spiritual maturity where you can say, well, you know, I am now beyond the reach of temptation. It doesn't attract me anymore. You know, if Jesus was tempted from the beginning of his ministry to the end of his ministry, we're going to be tempted too. I heard the story of, an, of a young guy who asked an old, old preacher one time, Pastor, when will I reach the point when the sins of the flesh will no longer appeal to me? And the old preacher said, son, I wouldn't trust myself till I've been dead in the grave for three days. Um, so, so be aware. Be aware that temptation is going to be a part of your life. Now, you also need to be aware that God is not responsible for temptation. It says, when tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. In other words, God's not the author of evil. Satan is. You know, God might bring some uh, test into your life to examine you. He might allow some trials into your life to strengthen you. But when you find sin appealing, you can't blame God for that. You know, God doesn't traffic in the realm of the immoral. I heard a story of an overweight preacher that announced to his staff that he was going to go on a diet. But the very next morning, he shows up at church in the office with a dozen donuts from Krispy Kreme. And uh, almost half of them had already been eaten. And uh, his secretary said, you know, I th Pastor, I thought you said you were going to go on a diet. He said, well, I was, but it just wasn't God's will. And uh, she said, well, how, how do you know it wasn't God's will? And he said, well, you know how I always drive by Krispy Kreme, you know, on my way to work? I was really hungry this morning, so I just prayed, God, if it's not your will for me to eat any donuts today, don't let there be a parking space, uh, you know, in the, in the parking lot. And sure enough, after the eighth time that I circled around, there was a spot <laughs> right out there in front. Now, I tell you that story, honestly, I have no idea why Ashley would ever doubt me. But anyway, um, but, but seriously, you know, here, here's, this is as real as it gets because this is what we do. 
We're always trying to blame somebody else. We're always trying to blame somebody else for our sin. You know, we, we live in a culture today that does not accept responsibility. We, we blame our circumstances. We blame our hormones. We blame our parents. Ultimately, all of that, though, finds its way back to God. Remember, at the very beginning, God asked Adam, why? Why did you eat from the tree that I told you not to eat of? Now, do you remember what Adam said? He said, it was the woman that you created. Now, she gave it to me, but it's your fault, God. You made her. You know, and, and that's, our, that's our attitude. You know, God, it's your fault that I'm having this affair because, you know, I met this woman and there's the chemistry. It's just right. We couldn't resist. You brought us together. You know, God, it's your fault that I'm lazy because, after all, you made me this way. I have such a laid-back personality, and that came from you. God, if you hadn't given me such a, a big mouth, a hot temper, a strong sex driver, given me you know, such a humongous appetite, I wouldn't constantly be having to battle this temptation. So really, God, it's your fault, not mine. Listen, God did not buy that reasoning from Adam, and he's not buying it from us today. And neither is James. I mean, he's getting very, very practical with, with, with us. He says... You know, stop blaming God. You say, well, somebody's got to be to blame. Well, yeah, somebody is. I am. You are. Let, let, let me read it again. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. Now listen to this. But each one is tempted when by What? His own evil desire, he's dragged away and enticed. You see that there are two natures that beat within the heart of every single person. You know, on the one side, we are created in the image of God, and so there's this part of us that leans toward that which is good and right, but we also have within our hearts this image of Adam. And so we inherited from the very first man the inclination to do evil. It's called a sinful nature. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Another translation says, Who can understand it? Paul said, I know I am rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. And so Satan knows that. He knows there's this part of us, that this inclination toward evil, and so he is a specialist in stimulating our craving for sin, for, for the flesh. So be aware. Number two, be ready. Be ready. Listen, at various times in your Christian life, you are going to experience an, an intense desire for, to do the wrong thing, to sin. Now, that might not necessarily be an in indication that you're out of sync with God. It might be just the opposite. It might be that, that Satan is on the attack, that he's trying to stop your progress, that you are going. I mean, many times I've found that when people take next steps and they're growing in their faith, man, that's when Satan hits the hardest. In 2 Corinthians 2.11, Paul warns us, in order that Satan might not outwit us, for we are not aware, we are not unaware of his schemes. 
He's reminding us that Satan is a schemer, and he has been using this same old bag of tricks for thousands and thousands of years, and so he is an expert. And so to keep, to keep from being outwitted and out-schemed, we got to be ready. In fact, if you read through the New, New Testament, Jesus, Peter, Paul, all of them at least three different times said, be on your guard. In other words, be ready. Now, this is important to understand. Temptation is, is a process. You know, it, it's not just this one-time act. You don't, you know, wake up today and go, hey, I think I'm going to commit adultery. You know, it just doesn't happen that way. It, it, it's, a, it's a process. And James actually outlines this, this process that the devil uses to tempt us here. Look, look back at verse 14. But each one is tempted when... By his own evil desire. So in other words, first of all, temptation starts there with our desire. In other words, it's an inside job. Now this is what you need to understand though. Most of our desires are actually good. They're okay. I mean, think about it. Is there anything inherently wrong with the desire for food or drink or rest or sex? No. Those are all normal desires, and they come from God, and they're good gifts from God. The trouble comes, however, when we choose to satisfy those desires in ways that are outside of God's will. See, that's, that's part of Satan's scheme. He wants to take your normal desires from God and turn them into destructive desires. For example, I joked about this, eating is normal, right? Right? That's a desire from God. But on the other end, gluttony is a sin. Sleeping, normal. Laziness, a sin. You know, the, the sex drive, the sexual desires, that's a God-given gift. Hebrews 13.4 says, marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. So again, sex within marriage is great. It's pure, it's wonderful. And then he says this, for God will judge the adulterer and all sexually immoral. So sex outside of that parameter of marriage, sex outside of one man, one woman for a lifetime, is sin. So desire in and of itself is not the problem. It can be good or bad depending on where it leads. Temptation is often the fulfillment of a good desire in the wrong way or at the wrong time. But that is where it starts. It starts with desire. The second phase is deception. Deception. The second part of verse 14 says, he is dragged away and enticed. Now you need to know that in the original Greek language, the words there, both of those terms, dragged away, enticed, they actually come from the realm of fishing. Remember, that was, a, that was a common occupation in the first century. A lot of the disciples were fishermen. And so the idea is being seduced or lured by bait. Now those of you who are into fishing, you know you gotta have the right bait to catch the right kind of fish. And people who fish, you know, they take their bait and their tackle very, very seriously. Think about it. Fishing lures are not called lures for no reason. I mean, you know, picture them in, their, in your mind. Many of them have attractive colors, Shiny material, seductive smells even. Some of them even, you know, wiggle, rattle, twirl. Sometimes they even have little blinking lights. I mean, it sounds like Vegas, doesn't it, when you think about it, right? Um, but the lures 
also have hooks. And those hooks are designed to go unnoticed. And so again, you can easily see the word picture that James is is using here, where he's going. The idea is that we are lured, we are drawn, we are enticed out of a place of safety and lured by a specific attraction. The fish sees the bait, bites, and he thinks he's getting a meal. Instead, he gets what? He gets hooked, and he becomes the meal. So what kind of bait does Satan use on you? We're all different in this room. We're all vulnerable. And he knows where you're vulnerable. He is a student of you. He knows, I mean, his his job is to steal, kill, and destroy. And he knows your weaknesses. He knows you inside and out. He knows what's going to catch your eye. He knows what turns you on. And he hides the hook in his bait. And he uses that to appeal to your desires. He wants to deceive you. And the crazy thing is that oftentimes we see the hook. And we know we're being tempted. And yet we just keep on, keep on nibbling. You know, well, you know, I'm an adult. I know what I'm doing. It's not going to hurt. I know how far I can go. Just one more drink, one more hit, one more purchase. I know what I'm doing. And you've gone from desire to deception. Temptation always looks better than it really is. Somebody once said, Sin will always take you further than you were planning to go, and it'll keep you longer than you were planning to stay. Deception. And then that leads to the next stage, disobedience. James uh, changes metaphors now in verse 15. He goes from the world of fishing to the world of human development and birth, from, from bait to biology. Listen to this. Then after desire has what? Conceived. It gives birth to sin. In other words, what started in your mind, what is conceived in your mind, ends up coming to full term and being born in your life. We act on it. That's what he's saying. You see, Satan knows that whatever gets your attention, your mind, your focus will eventually get you. You know, will come out in your life. Whatever you flirt with, you will fall for. The desire is conceived and mulled over in your mind, and then it takes the form of action, behavior. So look at your outline. Desire leads to deception. Deception leads to disobedience. And then finally, Disobedience leads to death. Death. Destruction. Separation from God. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. The reason so many people don't fear sin or think clearly enough about 
temptation is that they're not looking far enough ahead. They don't see when it's complete, when it's finished. They're not, they're not looking at the end result. They don't see the destroyed marriage. They don't see the ruined relationships. They don't see the financial pain. They don't see the heartache caused in the lives of, of children and generations. And then added to that, honestly, I think we make a terrible mistake when we tell people that, you know, sometimes you'll see this, you know, in televangelists or preachers or churches or something, you know, that we tell people that there's no fun in sin, that we just flat out lie. I mean, that's crazy. Our world is full of people who are living in sin, saying yes to temptation, and they're appearing to have the time of their life, right? I mean, that's how Satan hooks us, though, because sin offers all kinds of pleasure, now look at me for a second. This is important. For a season. For a season. Hebrews 11.25 says this. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting pleasures of sin. Now that verse is actually talking about Moses and his decision to be mistreated right alongside of the people of God instead of hanging out in Egypt and enjoying the pleasures of sin for a short time. And the truth is, for a season, man, it's barrels of fun. In the moment, woo, it's intense. But you are not looking far enough ahead. Galatians 6, 7 says this, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. You know, you ask any farmer or gardener about the connection between sowing and reaping, and they'll share some principles with you that what is sown in a small amount of seed is multiplied in the harvest. That's an inescapable uh, law of nature. And the same is true spiritually. When you sow sin, when you give in to temptation, the pain of harvest always exceeds the pleasure of sowing. Always. You, you not only reap what you sow, listen, you will reap more than you sow. In fact, in the next verses, James tells us that God you know, wants to give us good gifts, and we're going to talk about that in a moment, but I think part of his point is, listen, don't get conned. Don't get outwitted and out-schemed by Satan. Satan doesn't want to give you anything good. He is baiting you now with pleasure, but he will demand a heavy payment later. The pain of the harvest always exceeds the pleasure of the sowing. You sow a thought, you reap a deed. You sow a deed, you reap a habit. You sow a habit, you reap character. You sow character, you will reap a destiny. There is a price to pay. So Pastor Chris, what do we do? You know, is there any hope? There is. 
1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13 says this. So if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. Let me just stop there one second. Again, that goes back to that idea that, oh, you know, I've outgrown that temptation. You know, I've matured past it. Paul said, no, 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 no. You think you're standing firm in an area, you better, you better be careful. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. In other words, you're not the only one going through it. We, we all are tempted. We're all tempted in the same ways. And then listen to this. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up under it. There's hope. There's a way out. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I was working on this message, I was really tempted just to give you a list of like, you know, four or five things that you could do to overcome temptation. You've probably heard many of these many times, you know, like saturating yourself with the Word of God because, you know, that's what Jesus did when he was in the wilderness, you know, uh, fighting Satan, you know, being tempted by Satan. He combated with the Word of God or, uh, you know, be sure you pray, uh, be sure you remain close to your Christian friends and fellowship and the church and all those other things. But then this truth struck me. You know, when you're in the middle of it when, it, when you're in the moment of it, when passion and desire are aroused in your life and you're about to be deceived, you are not likely to go back to some arbitrary list or formula. If I could only remember that list Pastor Chris had given me, you know, on such and such a date, I'd be fine. So what could I share with you today? So when you're faced with temptation, I just want you to remember these two words. Be smart. Be smart. And that really comes straight from Scripture here. Verse 16, James said, don't be deceived, my dear brothers. You know, when you're faced with temptation, when Satan is trying to out-scheme you, be intelligent. Ultimately, sin is so stupid. Don't get led down that path. Stop for a moment and just think about how terrible it is for you to allow Satan just to suck you in. Don't allow your desires to dictate your behavior. Think smart. I mean, think about it for a second. When sin is exposed in people's lives, and they, you know, they actually have this moment of clarity, they come to their senses, what is their first reaction? You usually don't hear people say, oh, I've done a terrible thing, I have sinned. No, they usually say, I don't know how I could have been so what? Stupid. And, and really, again, this comes straight from Jesus. Jesus said this, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and what? Puts them into practice. That's what the series is about, James. Putting our faith into practice. He says if you hear it and you do it, he says, is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. And then verse 26 says, But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't put them into practice is like what kind of man? A Foolish man, he says, who built his house on the sand. And so James, Jesus, is saying, be smart. Be wise. Hey, listen, in, in a room this large, this many people, people watching, I, I know, I know, there are some of you here today who are flirting with disaster. You are flirting with sin. Listen, stop. Do not be stupid. Be smart. Run. 
Get out now. Do not jeopardize your influence, your family, your marriage, your career, your health, and maybe, maybe your eternity for just a few moments of pleasure. And you think you're clever right now because you're getting away with it. You think you're smart enough that you'll know when to stop. You're enjoying the money. You're enjoying the high. You're flushed with passion. You're excited about the challenge. Listen to me. You are tiptoeing on the cobwebs, and they will entangle you. Old radio personality Paul Harvey once told the story of how an Eskimo kills a wolf. And this story, the account is absolutely grisly. And yet, it says something about the all-consuming, self-destructive nature of temptation and sin. I want you to listen to this story, to what he says. First of all, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood, and he allows it to freeze. And then he adds another layer of blood and allows it to freeze, and he adds another and another and another until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter fixes his blade in the ground with the blade up. When a wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster and faster and faster, more and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for the blood that the wolf does not notice the razor-sharp sting of the now naked blade on his own tongue, nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more and more until the dawn finds him dead in the snow. It is a fearful thing when people are consumed by their own desire and their own lust. And that is a vivid illustration of exactly what happens in the lives of so many people. And I'm telling you, it's exactly what James was trying to say when he wrote this. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. And then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Be smart. Be smart. You know, say no to immediate pleasure and yes to ultimate joy. I think that's what James is saying in these next two verses. Look at verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. The idea here is that God is continually giving us 
good gifts. They just keep coming down and down and down and they don't stop. Even in trials, even when we face temptation, he's saying, listen, God is good. He is the creator and he stands above the entire universe, everything that he's made. And these heavenly lights, the planets, the stars, you know, they, they rotate and they shift and they cause shadows. But man, not so with God. There's a dark side to the moon, but there's no dark side to God. He never dims. He does not shift. He does not change. And we never have to wonder if we'll find him receptive. He's the father and he's the light and he's good. He's the opposite of Satan, what he's trying to do in your life. That's what James is saying. And then in verse 18 it says, He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all he created. James is saying, God is not the author of temptation. Listen, he is the author of salvation. And if you just open your eyes, you'd see that when you reject what Satan has to offer, God has gifts that are way more attractive, way more wonderful. And his gifts don't lead to destruction. They don't lead to death. They lead to life. So if you want to be smart and win over temptation, you've got to keep coming back to the character of God who he is, and what he's done. You know, what he's going to do. you got to focus on that. Ultimately, it comes down to this. You can choose to believe Satan and live a lie and be deceived. Or you can choose to believe God and receive life, eternal life, abundant life. And that choice is yours. Somebody once said, every single day of your life is election day. God votes for you. Satan votes against you. And you get to cast the deciding vote. You're the swing vote. So who are you going to choose? Which way are you going to go? Be smart. Listen, here's the good news. All that sin in your life, all that sin in my life, it's already been paid for. You see, there must be a payment for that sin. Sin demands it. There's a, there's a cost, there's a price to be paid. There is a death that must happen either yours or somebody else has got to pay for it. And I'm telling you, here's the good news, guys. Somebody has. God knew that we were going to blow it. But in his great, great love, he was willing to send his one and only son, Jesus, to die in our place. And ultimately, if we put our faith and our trust in him, that sin in our life, it's paid for. That doesn't mean that we're not going to struggle. That doesn't mean that, that Satan still is not coming after you, try to kill, steal, and destroy. But ultimately, you can receive eternal life and the power and the righteousness to overcome sin. But it happens through faith in Christ. That's where it starts. 
And maybe today is your day. Maybe today is the day that you come home, that you receive salvation and hope and a brand new life. Man, what are you waiting for? That is the best thing you will ever be offered. It is so much better than what this world offers you. That is deception, and it leads to destruction and death. Come home to God today. It is as simple as a prayer. It's putting your trust and your faith in Christ and what he did for you. And you can do that right here, right now. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I do thank you for your word and I thank you for James and this message today that we all need to hear. You know, if we're going to talk about being real and putting our faith into action, the world sometimes looks at us and thinks we're just phony and fake and, you know, we don't even, we don't even struggle. We just give in and don't even think about what we're doing. And James reminds us that um, Satan is here to deceive, destroy, and kill. And he tells us that there is a way out, to be smart. You know, to think about uh, where we're headed and what, where this leads. So Father, today I just pray for, I know there's people in this room that are right now in the middle of something. And I pray, God, for they would just turn around. That you tell us in your word that there's always a way out. Run, get out now, say no, move, change jobs, whatever it takes, it's not worth it. Turn your back on that sin and turn in faith toward Christ. And listen, if you're here today and you are ready to receive salvation, that gift from God of eternal life, abundant life, pour your heart out to him right now in a prayer. Just say something like this, dear Heavenly Father, God, I want to come home. I admit it. I confess it. I have blown it. I've pushed you out of my life. I've, I've wanted nothing to do with you. But today, Father, I ask you to forgive me. I believe. As much as I understand, as much as I know how, today, I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe he paid the price for my sin. I believe he went to the cross and he died in my place. And he proved his power over sin and death by rising again. He is alive. And today I put all that I am, all my trust, all my hope on him and what he did for me. And now, God, for the rest of my days, I just want to follow Jesus. I want to become more and more like you see me today, brand new. I am what you say I am. I am forgiven. I am your child. Thank you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.